In your lifetime, have you ever wished that someone would seek you out? Have you ever wished that someone would see perhaps a mood that you're in, feeling depressed, and they would come after you and want to talk with you? Have you ever felt that you wish that someone would take notice of the troubles that you're in, the sufferings that you have, or the abandonment or perhaps loneliness that you feel? And that someone would just come and, and, and seek you out, not for advice, but just come after you. Perhaps the feeling of being left out and not invited to somewhere. Perhaps the feeling or symptoms of loneliness go a little bit deeper. Maybe there's something that, that, that bothers you, that keeps you from talking about it. Something maybe embarrassing, perhaps a deep sin, maybe, maybe something that, that, that you don't want to, a burden. Has anyone ever felt like that? I think at some point most of us do. To just be a little baby and curl up in someone's arms, if we want to put it that way. Someone to look after me. Someone to come and find me. The parable that Jesus tells us today is about a father and his two sons. He tells it to the Pharisees and to the teachers of the law. He tells it in response to a remark that they made when they said, you're the Messiah. Why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? You shouldn't be doing that if you're the Messiah. Well, we know the story. We know it almost too well. And we kind of read over it a little cursorially, saying, yeah, yeah, I know the story about the prodigal son. But there are dynamics in the text that we really need to look at to get the full meaning of what's going on. There's some surprises for us. There's some cultural elements in the story that we need to know what Jesus is really getting at here. Yes, it's about the younger son, but it's about the older son too. In the parable, the younger son claims his inheritance from the father. In Middle Eastern culture, this is unthinkable. It would never happen. Inheritance was only given after the death of the father. So think about it. When the young son comes to the father and says that he wants his inheritance, he wants his father dead. It's as good as if to say, give me what you got, but I don't want you. He does not want the father's heart. He wants the father's possessions. Now, instead of driving the younger son away out of the house, which is what any good Jewish father would have done and then in the Middle East, because wishing he was dead and asking for something so outrageous, the father would drive him out. Well, that's not what happens. He divides his property. Between the sons giving the younger son his portion of the inheritance. But in order to do that, the Greek text tells us that the father actually divides his bios. He divides his life. In other words, his life, his standing in the community, he's dividing everything that he is, just not possessions, but his place in the society, his place in public, because he was a landhold, a landowner. And to hold land meant everything. It was your status in the community. So he is divesting himself of 
everything that he is. So the younger son really is asking his father to tear his life apart and give it to him. The son cares nothing for the father, just the father's possessions. The part that we're familiar with is that the son goes off and squanders everything, all the money, all of his possessions, the food in the most wasteful way possible, even to live with pigs, which of course, as we know, is forbidden for all Jews, even in the Middle East among Muslims as well. But I was, as I was writing this sermon, I thought of a cousin who I had. He hailed from southwest Kansas. He was kind of a rebellious sort, but a nice person, but he left home find his way in the world. He got involved in drugs, perhaps selling, perhaps trafficking drugs. He rarely came home to visit, squandered everything, was out of contact with the family for a long period of time. Like the younger brother in the parable, one day he decided that he was going to come home, back to the life that he had once known, security and love of the family. That is kind of what happened in our parable. The younger brother was so desperate and so hungry because of the famine that he decides he's going to go back where he had everything that he needed. But when he separated himself with the inheritance, he no longer has a family. By taking the inheritance, he ducked out of the family. He no longer has a family to go back to. So his plan is, I can't go back as a son I will not be accepted. I'll go back as a hired servant. I'll go back to work myself back into that life that I once knew that was from my father. The inheritance spent, he had nothing, no standing, no family, no connection. The best he could do was to go back and declare himself a slave of his father, who had it even better than he did. Well, the first twist in the parable is when the son returns, it's the father who runs out to meet him. Another unheard of happening in the Middle East. The father would never go to the son. The son must honor the father. The son must seek out the father. He'd have to pick up his robes, and he'd have to take off, and only kids did that. You wouldn't see fathers do that. The son must respect the fathers. Fathers would not show their knees on down. The next surprise is that the father not only goes out to get him, but he gives him the signet ring, which is a ring that was used with the seal, like you see in uh, medieval or Renaissance kings. Have the, they seal letters, they seal contracts. This was their signature. He gives them the signature ring to authority and power of everything in his house. The son who squandered everything before suddenly now has the power of his father. And he gives him a robe of majesty. And he makes a feast for him, a fattened calf. So the younger son doesn't earn anything. It's given. It's by the father's grace and by the father's love that brings him back. But the story isn't finished. There's another act to this play. The parable looks normal. It's what we're used to. But there's the older son. The older son doesn't know what happened with the younger son at this point. Because we always concentrate 
on the one act, the first one. And we identify with that. God's grace and his love is great for us, and he will always come out and meet us. We think of it in sentimental terms, maybe tearjerkers. But the people who are listening, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law at this time, were not wiping away their tears. They were getting a little bit upset with Jesus because this was against any type of convention that they knew in the old and uh, the, from the Old Testament and lived out in the New Testament. They have would have offended to think that the Father would ever do such a thing as place love on an unrighteous son. So in essence, Jesus is saying, everything you heard and everything that you were taught about approaching God was wrong. You cannot earn your way or buy your way back or impress him. So the son, older son comes back and there's a feast going on. The older brother coming home hears dancing, or hears music, sees dancing, and he is told that the father has killed the fatted calf, which means that he has chosen to give a feast not only for the family, but for the whole village. The older brother is furious and he refuses to join the feast. So not only did the younger son reject the family, the older son has also rejected the family. He's insulted and he does not want to join the feast. In fact, listen to the words that he uses to address his father. He doesn't say, father, oh, father. He says, look, I've been with you all, look. Listen to me, Dad. I've been with you all the time. He doesn't say your son. He says my brother. And he says this son of yours has gone off. There's no acknowledgement of family. No acknowledgement of mercy. No acknowledgement of forgiveness. And now we find out why. Because when the property and all the goods of the dad and his life was divested, one-third went to the younger son, two-thirds went to the older son. And guess whose money and goods were being used for the festivities of the younger son? The older son. The older son's worried about the cost. I'm going to lose my inheritance at the cost of my younger brother. How can you do that, dad? The older son would never do this. He would have never killed the fatted calf. So when he sees that the father has done it, he's worried about his possessions. Both brothers only care about what the father has. They don't care about the father. They don't care about the father's heart. They don't care about the father's love. They only want what is rightfully theirs. The older brother, like the younger brother, cares only about the things of the father. The estate, the expenses, worried he will be left with nothing. He cares for the father's things, but not the father's heart. Even when the father pleads with him, you always have what is mine. The younger risked it, but the older one stayed. At this point, the older brother is the only heir. But with the party's expense, he can only see the diminishing returns. And he humiliates the father on the greatest day of his life. The father again tenderly says, my son, I still want you in the feast. But the son does not accept the father's invitation. 
parable stops. We're not told an ending. If it is, it's not really a happy one, at least not for the older son. So this is the most stunning thing that happens. The younger is saved, but the older one, the good one, the righteous one, the one who kept the rules is lost, as far as we know. That doesn't sound fair. Jesus' listeners know what Jesus' point is. Because the older brother here is the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The parable is a reversal of everything that they were taught and everything that they believed. The lover of prostitutes is saved. The one who was morally unrighteous is saved. And the ones who were in temple every day and not walking on the Sabbath were lost. In the context of the parable, the tax collectors and sinners are the younger brother, obviously. They've wandered from God. They have lived a life of their own. They've squandered their inheritance. They've walked out of the family. They're the outcast of society. And the Pharisees and teachers are the older brother. They're obedient and righteous. Both are lost. Here's the reason for the parable. It is the third parable that's told. The two that were before it, one is about the lost coin. And if you remember, the lost coin, the woman cleans everything, turns up her house upside down to find this lost coin, and she finds it and rejoices. And the second one is the lost sheep. The one with the 99, the one goes off. What does the shepherd do? He goes out to find the sheep. In this parable, no one goes out to find the son. No one has gone out to find the younger son that was lost. That's the question that Jesus doesn't ask, but the question that the Pharisees and teachers of the law knew he was asking. The question inferred to them was, who should have gone to look for the son, the younger one? Jesus leaves the story without an ending as an attack on the self-righteousness of the Pharisees. Jesus leaves it open because it was the elder brother's job to seek out and keep the family together. That's why he was given two-thirds of the inheritance. He is now the head of the family. He acts instead of the father, with the father's love, with the father's mercy, with the father's possessions, to keep the family together. He should have said, Father, my younger brother has gone off, but I will find him, even at great expense, and I will bring him home. The younger has gone off, which means everything else belongs to the older brother, the fatted calf, the wealth, the robe, the ring, the shoes. Now here's Jesus' point. When the father brings back the younger son, he can only do that at the expense of the older brother. It's not free. Someone has to pay the price. For the younger son, it was free. But the older son, it cost him everything. The leaders of Israel should have gone to look for those who strayed and were outcast and wished to be found. The ones who thought they were beyond hope and destitute from God's family, they were the older brothers. But they didn't. And so God cannot simply accept and adopt us except at the expense of the true elder brother. For us, there is a true elder brother. There is one who loved and obeyed the father completely. 
who left the father's house and his inheritance to come looking for us. He earned everything. He earned the robe, the ring, the fatted calf. But at the end of his life, he doesn't get a royal robe. He gets stripped. He doesn't get the fatted calf. He gets vinegar. He doesn't get the ring of power and authority. He gets a crown of thorns. Even though he has the possessions of the father, he leaves the father's house and sacrifices everything to keep the father and his creation together in one house. But our true elder brother never denies the father. He searches us out in our loneliness, in the pigsties in which we've made our lives, the dark recesses of our consciences, He's the one who seeks us out when we need and want to be sought out. He is the animal, sacrificial animal of the heavenly feast. Before we reach the arms of the Father, he sought us out to forgive us. He says, I did it all for you. I gave up my inheritance, my two-thirds part, my crown and throne to come to this earth to look for you. You couldn't be clothed unless I was stripped. You couldn't wear a ring unless I lost it. But I freely give them to you. And every communion Sunday, we are the honored guest at the feast of victory. And it's our homecoming. We eat and drink the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there are times when you feel lost, alone, and wishing for someone to just come and get you. Those moments when you wish you could have done everything over, perhaps better. Easter reminds us of our brother who has done that, who has brought us home, who gives us everything. He shows us the Father's mercy at his cost. He pays for our return, and he himself is the sacrificial victim. We are new creation because of him. And he has clothed us in righteousness. But there is another story I started to tell as I was talking here. It was about my cousin. He saw the deplorable condition that he was in, in drugs and alcohol, and had enough. He was in Colorado at that time and called his father and said he's coming home. The next day, the authorities found his body beside his truck on a highway. Nobody ever came looking for him. He never made it home. He never saw the joy on his father's face. He never enjoyed the security of his forgiveness. I'm not saying this to judge his faith in Christ or say that he was not forgiven, nor that he took his family's inheritance. He was brought up in church and was taught about Christ. But so were we. Yes, he wandered off, but was coming back. The reason for including him in the story is because there is a whole world around us, neighbors, friends, and relatives who would love to come back home who are tormented, suffering, wishing someone would just reach out to them. Who's looking for them? We are. We are the older brother. We are our brother's keeper. 
We know the Father. We are his children. We have the invitation to extend. As we have been found by our Savior, who came looking for us in our daily lives, let us bring that Savior to the lost and the hungry and the homeless, the ones who have lost their way in our world as well, to know the joy of the Father and the sacrifice of love that he has for every one of his creation. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're interested in knowing more about Jesus Christ or about Grace Lutheran Church, please go to www.gracealoneonline.org. You can email us at gracealoneonline at gmail.com.